podcast didn't play nobody. It's the year of the chalk. I told you so. Uh, I wasn't shocked. I did not watch the f- the last gasp comebacky thing from Oklahoma. Um, I you did can because blame... it was Kyler Murray playing football, but yeah. yeah, blame well, just blame blame Clemson Notre Dame for that because I was like, I'm not doing six hours of this. I do appreciate, uh, by the way, though, uh, I was able to have like both of my post game write ups basically done halfway through the third quarter, and I just had to wait for some numbers. Boy, you sound like a sports writer. Damn right. I, you I wasn't sound even like there. A sports writer. I, this was I didn't have a deadline. It was just kind of it was just you know easy. Okay, so we're gonna set the tone early. We're going to try and reset it often. Here's the tone. You ready, Bill? Okay. Those games sucked. Those yes. matchups were predictable. Okay? So, yesterday was horrible. <laughs> However, the world is not ending. College football is not in dire straits. Everything is going to be fine in the long run. This is still the most eccentric, bizarre, simultaneously awful and wonderful culture in sports. Yes. Okay? And just None last of that's year, changed. we almost had a two-loss team making the playoffs. So it's not like now it's going to be like the heavyweights are never going to lose again. This podcast ain't played nobody. It's college football marriage of numbers and words. We're back. It's been hey. a minute. Um, that's the robot Bill Connolly at SBN underscore Bill C. He's the inventor and proprietor of the S&P Plus analytics system uh, for both college and NFL now. As we not officially. Toward, as we march towards the NFL playoffs. <clears throat> Um, man, I can't. My, man, you got to see these NFL S and P plus numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm just. I spent 15 minutes before we recorded this show trying to figure out ways for the Saints not to go to the Super Bowl. My name is Stephen Godfrey. You can reach me at 38 Godfrey. And I hate your team. Um, okay, we will talk briefly about the playoff. Um, your piece on Clemson Notre Dame was it? I didn't. I haven't told you this. It dovetailed perfectly with a couple texts that I got when it was three three. Yeah. And the texts were from coaches, one of which I had watched last year's national championship with. And so I got a couple of texts from coaches and I was like, hey, you watching this, whatever. We were talking about other stuff because it's been a crazy news thing. We'll talk about that in a second. And they all said, Notre Dame's going to F around and win this game. <laughs> or they said, Clemson's going to F around and lose this game. Now, these are the, th- this one particular coach was the same guy who kind of sat there, arms folded right after halftime and said, Alabama's going to win this football game. <laughs> in last year's national championship because coaches are prescient in a weird way. And sometimes they can just see things happening that they can't control or affect or address with their own play calling or individual coaching of players. But they just, they, they feel, uh, they just feel tides and, and, and they feel, they feel movements. They feel tides. There you go. Oklahoma felt yeah. a tad last night, boy. Uh, they feel things based on, their ability to watch a game, I think, you know, they can consume and process information faster than we can. They've been doing it their whole lives. And I think they also pick out individual efforts and, and also they can they can identify large-scale mental deficiencies, bad alignments, <laughs> things like that. Right. Faster than we can looking at TV. Uh, obviously, they were wrong, but that kind of gets to what you wrote about Clemson Notre Dame, which was that was, especially from Jump, the game Notre Dame needed to play. Right. And, oh, my God. Just didn't, didn't work. Just didn't work at all. Yeah, like basically what the piece was about, um, in case you missed it in the, the onslaught of content from here and elsewhere, um, the, the, the general premise of my piece was that Notre Dame got the game it wanted. Uh, they needed, basically, they needed to dominate special teams, and they did. They needed um, 
to prevent, well, they, they, they needed to prevent big plays, and they did for a bit. <laughs> for the first quarter, they did. So um, they needed to basically force Trevor Lawrence to make some plays, and he wasn't necessarily doing he – wasn't, he wasn't making mistakes, but he wasn't making plays either uh, to start the game. So they were able to – they were in a situation where they could uh, ease their way in. They were taking some risks like an underdog should, so they understood the gravity of the situation. They went forward on fourth down. Probably probably should have gone forward on fourth and two instead of kicking a field goal, but I think they got baited by the fact that Clemson had only kicked a field goal in a couple of drives. They're like, okay, cool, we're tied, uh, when they really probably should have gone forward. But they still went forward another time. They had a double reverse pass or whatever that was in there. And so it was, it was, they were playing the game they needed to play and it was setting up like they needed it to set up. Uh, and then love got hurt <laughs> and then briefly Gilman got hurt and looked about three steps slower for a little bit when he came back. Uh, and then the, the big play, if you didn't realize how, um, how important Julian love was to Notre Dame's big play prevention, you saw at the moment he left because then the big plays just flowed like a waterfall. Um, and that was it. For, for basically Clemson just did whatever they wanted for a quarter and that was it. Notre Dame was never going to be able to handle any sort of, of deficit of any kind uh, and, and the floodgates opened. They were just so like, even getting the game they wanted even if they had uh, been able to not you know, even if love stays and then they only get burned by one or two big plays you know, they basically get the game they want and it just doesn't matter because Clemson and Alabama Clemson and Alabama were so much better than everybody else in college football this year Yep. Uh, so as far as that other game goes, <laughs> um, beat him down. Shout out to Bomani. Just that was it. It didn't really. It, what what a misleading box score. Right. Yeah. No. I mean, it was. Um, I drew reference to if you if you own my book, the fifty best college football teams of all time. Um, Fun. Plug. Um, I, I'm still, you know, DM me for a copy, sixteen dollars uh, autographed. Um, I, I realized when I was trying to set the set set up my my post game piece for that game that I was talking basically. I was using the same words that I was using for the 1945 army Navy game in there, which was basically, Hey, nobody else came this close. They did it a great job. They basically broke even for three quarters. Uh, and, and really only kind of didn't, you know, just kind of lost the plot in one of the four quarters. The problem was it was the first quarter and they were down 28, nothing before they found the plot. Um, and I do think, I mean, after that, like that was, that was angry Alabama. That was a team we get once or twice a year, usually against Ole Miss. Um, that just is is murderous and uh, remorseless and is never going to take their foot off the gas. So I don't think they took their foot off the gas. I think when OU came back, it was because they were coming back. They were matching blow for blow. They were handling uh, Alabama's offense at least a hair better, and they were actually figuring out th- ways to penetrate the Alabama defense. I think that was OU. That wasn't Alabama. Problem was they were down 28 nothing, and, and that yep. nothing else mattered. Uh, it was a weird game in, in the context of Alabama's season in that you haven't really seen teams kind of wriggle for life much. I mean, yeah. the SEC championship and Citadel, throw those out, I guess, and everything else has just been cruise control dominance. And this was a good football team in Oklahoma, and we aren't going to touch the who should have been in with a 10-foot pole. Oh, We're not God. doing that. Oh, However, you mean I don't get to rant about that? I was really wanting to <laughs> rant about that. Uh, however, I do think Al- – Look, Alabama's going to beat Clemson by by two touchdowns, most likely. No, okay, no, it's just, no, yes, no, that's not yes, most likely. yes, yes, no. yes. Why you got because you yelled at me and said it wouldn't be as chalky as it as it has been. It's just a chalky year. It's just gonna be. Well, but why is one versus two supposed to be a two touchdown blowout even for chalk? 
if they were to, if they were definitively the two best teams in the country, then why would one team be that definitively better than the other? Because they are. It's Alabama. Uh, the Alabama that lost to Clemson two years ago. <laughs> God, I think it's a very, very different team. I think I think Clemson's be... a better team. Yeah, that's true. But I just think this Alabama team is compensated and corrected in ways that make them look very, very different than that team two years ago. I, uh, I just talk I, radio-ish I, right now. I know. I, well, I, I guess. Like I'm, I, I always pick Alabama, so of course I'm picking Alabama. I just, like, mm-hmm. I think. I, I don't see why this has to like naturally be a blowout. I think Clemson's really like Clemson has been since Trevor Lawrence got healthy and came back after the Syracuse game and was the starter. They've been Alabama. They've been they've been more murderous than Alabama since then. And so like I, I think they absolutely have a shot here, a very a very solid shot. I just pick Alabama because I always pick Alabama. Uh, but yeah, no, to the point at hand, I thought Oklahoma acquitted itself very well in essentially a, a form of garbage time. <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah, garbage time with 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 what forty two minutes left or whatever. Hey man, that, them's the stakes when bad. you play Bama. Ugh. Um, so okay, that was the playoff. Yeah, uh, the world's not ending. Um, the football will happen. Uh, <laughs> there will be a football game against Alabama and Clemson uh, again, and that's okay. And everybody's gonna live. Um, and the sport's not ruined. So everybody take a deep breath. Okay. All right. Um. I had a list a long time ago of things I was going to use for a, a more structured segment with you. Okay. And I guess I can just use this as an anecdote to transition into our next topic. Um, I knew, I felt, and like I, this is not me humble bragging, that those games would end kind of the way they did. And I thought, well, we're going to have to kind of fluff up and talk about the Bulls previous. Also, this is super weird playing these games on the 29th. Yes. So we still have a lot of football. It's just very strange that like Cincinnati and VTech are playing tomorrow. I know. Yeah. I, don't I like it. I know why. I mean, I, I know how and why that all came about and having it on Saturday is probably the best, but it is weird now. Cause we're going to have a January 1st. Just don't, um, I mean, one more time before we get into the transition, don't do it on a random Saturday night. Don't do it on new year's Eve. Just do it on new year's day. Yeah. Like, why I mean, the, the why, headliner why on January 1st is a Texas Georgia game with a 13 point spread. Okay, every, yeah, like everybody just... It's weird. Oh, it's so stupid. On that list of things, what I was going to do is run through particular... Uh, not scenarios, but, but outcomes mm-hmm. from Bulls previous to the playoff. Okay. And I was going to say, hey, Bill, you tell me, argue one way or the other, is this indicative of bull weirdness, which is something that we preach about, right? We, <laughs> right. We've, we've told people, is one of the really founding tenets of this podcast was <laughs> stop using bulls for context, right? okay? Or is it something legitimate to worry about or be happy about? Okay. I made a little, a quick doc and we don't have to do this segment now because it feels strangely dated. But the first thing I wrote down, what do you think the first thing I wrote down was? Miami. Correct. Miami's <laughs> offense specifically. Yes. I was very, I said, I was going to say, Bill, sell me on this because you've <laughs> talked about it at great length already on the podcast. Was Miami's offensive performance in the whatever pinstripe bowl Indicative or isolated? Guess what? Don't matter. He gone. Yeah. Uh, Mark Rick has retired. Uh, that was one of the major cogs or major monkey. Re- I don't know what the metaphor is. I'm tired. Um, <laughs> whatever. It was one of the major reasons we're four hours late delivering this podcast yeah. today. Was that Miami uh, up and announced a an up and a, up and retirement? Um, this was. So here's what I can tell you. 
Uh, very, very, very surprising to a lot of people. This yes. was not something that trickled out. It started to trickle out late last night in small circles. I did not hear about it until today. Um, that is, uh, that's because no one thought it would happen at Miami and including that staff. So as we, we, we scrambled to put out a, a couple posts about this at SB Nation and you can kind of look and see, there's a lot of moving parts on the replacement side already. And we kind of, we, <laughs> As we do in the media, we just sort of threw the old guy overboard. We haven't even talked about Rick and his legacy and a bunch of other things that I'm interested in discussing at a certain point. But I guess not today because everybody right. just wants to talk about the next head coach. Um, there's a lot of moving pieces, Bill. You have Mario Cristobal. I'll put it this way. Would you, would you say that Mario Cristobal was the first name that you thought of when the job opened? I thought of Manny Diaz first, but Mario okay. was second, yeah. Okay, so... We have this situation where you have a guy in Mario Cristobal, one year in at Oregon, uh, native Floridian. Tell me if anything, any of this sounds familiar. Uh, has recruited really well. Is poised to take Justin Herbert to the next level next season. Like they they are looking dead in the face of a Willie Taggart redux. Right. The difference is this: is that Oregon learned a little bit of a lesson after Willie went home <laughs> to Florida State, and that Mario has a ten million dollar buyout which at Miami is no small amount of change. So therefore, I don't think, as of right now, based on the people we have talked to in these early hours, that he is the favorite. He would be the favorite otherwise, without a doubt. Mm. But then we open up to the field, and the first other weird avenue we have to go down, if you're not talking about Mario Cristobal, is Manny Diaz. Mm -hmm. Bill, do you just want to call him right now and ask him if he signed his contract? You can do it on the air. (laughs) I don't think he's going to answer his phone, but... Call him and see. I just took a dramatic cola. Oh, seriously? Of water. I was like, I was like wait, am I supposed to do this? Because I'm really not going to, but okay. Uh, no, don't do that. So Manny Diaz, since we've last recorded podcast materials, is now the head coach at Temple because the Temple head coach, Jeff Collins, is the head coach at Georgia Tech. So what I believe right now, based on the individuals I've spoken with, does not include Manny specifically is that Manny Diaz did not know that this was happening. I don't even think Mark Rick knew that this was happening. No, it really sounds like he didn't know it until probably two days ago. Yes. Uh, Following the embarrassment against Wisconsin in the pinstripe bowl, what we know from local reporting, good local reporting, is that Rick was uh, asked to make uh, likely significant changes on that yeah. staff, which is obviously something you've been talking about for weeks, right? Yeah. That he yeah, has. Was very, uh, I, I was actually, I'm a little, I, I get why he retired and maybe it's best for everybody, but I was really, just from a pure curiosity standpoint, um, I was really curious to see what he would do. Uh, how he would go about trying to fix this. And, and now, now we won't find out. Mm-mm. So the, uh, yeah, he goes home, thinks about what he has to do, decides firing ultimately. Firing his son was absolutely going to be on that list. He's like, hey, you know what? I don't have that fight in me anymore. And, and it really is, it's something we gloss over outside of the coaching community, but it is something that they struggle with way more than we understand. Mm-hmm. Um, because you guys, you ask those guys to work insane hours, some for good money, some not. I mean, that's the big disconnect yeah. is a lot of people, a lot of people don't realize that a lot of people who put in those 90 hours a week aren't making millionaire salaries. They're not even making good salaries in mm-hmm. some cases when you get into the G5. So, it's really hard to offer up your assistance in lieu of yourself. 
which is kind of what had to happen here in Miami. You see it happen more in the NFL. It's a much more of a a cleaner understanding between all involved. It's a turnstile business there, and it's becoming that way in college sports. What we know about Mark Richt is that his moral compass is a little bit different. Yeah. <laughs> um, I am saying that, and if you've listened to the show or read my work over the past however many years as I continue to collect gray hairs, I've been doing this for a while, I don't offer that to almost anybody in college sports um, that they have a high moral compass because this is yeah. a land of sinners and we are rolling around <laughs> in the same slop together. Um, and my, my thing is honesty no matter what. And Mark Richt, honestly, is probably too too good a human being for big-time college football in 2018. <laughs> I think it's safe to say he's a better dude than either one of us, yes. I think he's a better dude than a lot of folks. And what he does in his personal time, what he's done throughout his career, uh, it you know, I think he's a great guy. Um, the matter at hand is what Miami does because all these names that have popped up have these weird like anchors around them. Crystal balls, buyout, Manny Diaz. I mean, he just got hired by a different school to be their head coach. So is he going to come back? Was he, would he, would he have even been considered? Right. We don't know. So then there's this secondary list and this is where it gets interesting. And I'm curious what you think. If I say Butch Davis, what comes to mind? (laughs) By the way, I want to say this. I didn't sleep well last night. Holidays, kids sick, all that stuff. Like, you don't know, Bill, how many times I had to stop on the laptop today and go, Butch Davis, Butch, Butch Jones. Jones. Yep. Butch Davis, Butch Jones. I like to feel that, that I've had that influence on you as well since I've only – I only screw those two names up every single time I write about either one of them. Um, God. It feels – well, A, it feels lazy. And B, it feels like – Miami is so hard to figure out in terms of how good a job it really is. Um, and, you know, we get we get lost in, you know, he knows the area. He knows how to blah, 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 blah. He knows what, what it takes to, you know, once you start getting into that, it, you, you should, it should kind of set, sound an alarm bell that uh, we're being really lazy in what we're thinking right now. Mm-hmm. Um, like you know, people can learn the area. So it's it's hire a good coach. Don't hire a, a good one who knows the area and was once good in this way and was like just don't don't. Um, and so it like rings a lot of alarm bells. Plus he's nine years older than Mark Richt is, um, which seems odd to then you know want to go that direction. Um, Isn't I it know- weird that we we don't talking about context again? Time is is such a, a weird concept when you evaluate coaches, and the fact that this man was successful at this particular program a very long time ago now, longer than you realize. Yeah. If you're old enough to think that Butch Davis can coach Miami again because you're old enough to remember what he did at Miami the first time, one, you're old, and you're you've old. lost – I guarantee you you've lost track of the change in this industry in between those two periods of time. Yeah. Now, uh, it's at the same time, he has recruited better than FIU ever has. And he's winning games at FIU. And so I at least I get it. It's not purely it's not like a TV commentator, Butch Davis or, um, you know, failed North Carolina head coach, Butch Davis. I at least he has he has had a smidgen of success to the point where I get it. Why you would maybe be attracted to that. Just think bigger, man. Like there's a I would love to write about that. Hell, that'd be amazing to write about. Uh, Butch is coming back for one last go around and he look at him already vacuuming up every Miami prospect in on the market. Like that would be fun as hell to write about, but 
Think bigger. I, I, I don't know how good a job Miami is just because of the money, but like you can still recruit like crazy and then also coach like crazy. Um, you know what's y- funny y- is that nobody's figured out that they can't do that again. You know, like like Miami, the the state of Miami thing, that's never going to happen again. Like everyone knows that, right? I, if if anybody could do it, it's Butch Davis because somehow he was. I mean, he just he just went around and, and vacuumed up everybody at FIU. Now, no three stars for FIU, not four stars. But like, I I think he makes it seem just a, a, like a one with one ounce of reality. It's like it could be a possibility, and so that's all it takes. If you if you dream of the state of Miami days, that's all it takes for you to go. Mm, maybe that's the right move after all, you know. But, but I, no. it's, I, again, I just don't think that's possible. I think the land is. We got to get Bud in here. You can't <laughs> hide talent the way you used to. Mm. Uncle Luke himself is putting these kids on buses and taking them to camps in Tuscaloosa <laughs> right. and Tallahassee and like yeah. this idea of like, hey, there's some kids out in the the um, we need one of our umpteen Floridians on staff to explain <laughs> the inland like the southern inland areas those those redneck places down in su- South Florida like they were able to hide talent and, and it was it was considered the middle of nowhere twenty years ago right even. that's not the case like. Florida is so heavily scouted and so heavily evaluated that this idea that you can come in and hoover up the best 23 every year um, south of, you know, Orlando, Tampa, it's just not possible. It's not going to happen again. So, you know what? Navy and Army stopped winning national titles when we stopped World War II, basically. Okay? I think that's right. Although Staubach won the Heisman in the 50s. Korea. Um, you got to figure out your next thing. This has been an issue for a long time. Also, and and again, one of the many people on our staff that went to Florida or Florida State will tell you, Miami's brand has a stronger legacy impact outside of the state of Florida than it does in it. <laughs> and what I mean by that is when you're in Florida, you know that, one, Miami's a small private school. Right. And, two, their facilities and several of their budgets, you know, be it staffing or recruiting or whatever, are lagged behind the other schools. So... <laughs> That's actually kind of, I mean, that, that's kind of funny. So basically, if you want to continue the U brand, you need to basically turn into like a Stanford style recruiter and, and go around to like, a I mean, I guess, but Orleans. also like a 17 year olds don't understand that stuff, man. Yeah. I guess what I'm saying is we're at a point. Uncle Luke would kill me if you heard me say this. It's not, it's not cool. It's cool to us because, because when I'm 37 and when I was a kid, my parents looked at Miami on television. We're like, oh my, oh my, right? Like, yeah. maybe not my parents specifically. Like, your parents specifically would look at that and go, oh my. Like, I'm pretty sure my dad was like, to hell with Penn State, beat them. It's a very North South guy. Really? Um, wow. What you don't think it's weird and progressive that someone would cheer against Penn State in the '80s? <laughs> um. I, I guess I'm not going to comment about your dad. I will just say my dad has a nice socially conservative streak, and I think the one thing, the one team he would have rooted for Penn State against would have been Miami. Really? Yeah. Huh. He, he hmm. did not. He he thought Paterno like he he uh, he's he's not wrong, but he he anytime you start to to get to a certain level of deity, he basically is like, "Yep, that guy's a fraud." We'll figure out why at some point down the line. Um, but he still hated Miami. Um, yeah, 
interesting ditch we found ourselves in. I'll have to call my dad tonight and find out. How <laughs> oh, just wait till I ask you. Uh, wait till we start talking about Spider Verse for fifteen minutes here in a little. Uh, bit. I mean, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure he was fine with Miami. I'm pretty sure he thought it was funny. He hates Bama. Um, <laughs> like in 2018. Sure. Um, you know, man, you're always shocked at how much time you're as an adult. How much time your retired parents have? Oh my God, <laughs> the pop culture time I wish I had. Like. Okay. When you're when you're retired parents who hate everything anyway, like in pop culture, it's like it's too liberal. It's, oh, that was loud. That made no sense. That was dumb. But they'll have like knocked out a whole season of a show the first forty eight hours it's available, and then make fun of you a month later. Like you haven't watched <laughs> season two of Maisel yet. What the hell's your problem, boy? And I'm like these grandchildren that are destroying the walls right now. So Miami. So um, Miami. What about Mark Stoops? <sighs> Man. Wow. This I, is a guy, by the way, who was a position coach for Ed Reed, position coach for <laughs> right. some other all pro that I forgot. Um at that oh in that oh one era, like of when they were the last time they were truly threatening and scary mm-hmm. in terms of like the talent level and the scheme and the execution. Yeah, I mean that's the last time you remember like right, Miami being, that's when he was there. I mean, that was the so, time, yeah. He's heavy, heavy Florida for being a Youngstown, Ohio native or whatever, and a Stoops. Like he's of all the uh, like of all the Stoops, he's the most Floridian by experience and and just where he's coached. Right. I think the administration that hired Mark Rick is going to hire some someone more like Mark Stoops, and they're right. going to hire the, my next one. Which, by the way, you haven't given me an analysis yet. But actually, do this. Give me your give me your analysis on Mark Stoops, and then I'll get to number three. My. I get why he's attractive at this exact moment because Kentucky had a good year. Um, he's had really good one, defense too. He's had one good defense in six years, and he's had one decent offense in six years. So, like, if you want to talk me into like that being a, a shift in culture, now it's his team and his culture, and now the defense is good. Like, well, look, we'll find out when Josh Allen's gone uh, if it was him or if it was Mark Stoops. Uh, so. I don't trust that it's his culture so much as a really good group of senior defenders because that defense, that offense stunk this year. Like, I mean, Benny Snell, I love Benny Snell, but that offense stunk this year. Um, he's, he's had good, uh, like, blue chip quarterbacks and Juco quarterbacks and this and that. Hasn't really ever found a good one, um, which kind of, you know, Miami fans can probably relate to at the moment. Uh, it's been a while. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Like I, that I, I just like I get that when when a Kentucky head coach engineers a really good season like he has, that then the, you know that's gonna be pretty attractive because think what he could do with better recruiting. But I don't trust it. Um, last one. Yep. Lane Given. <laughs> uh, I will say this. Uh, I we reported out a whole list of candidates, people that are talking about. We're talking about Lane Kiffin in the context of just hypotheticals at the moment. I'm not. There will be mutual interest because of the connections with Miami and with Stoops that camp. I think that will happen in a conversation sense. I'm not saying the same thing about Lane yet because there is some luster off of him after this season. Right. Um, also, the way Sexton clients work is it, there's a line. There's several lines. They're all sort of individual or in, in, sorry, not individual, invisible. And you don't really know where you're at in line as they move the pieces around the board. <laughs> right. 
I don't know if this is the best move for, for Jimmy and Lane right now. Although, devil's advocate, what is the right move long-term and ultimately right. for Lane, if not a place like this in the P5? Not a lot of places scream Lane Kiffin as much as this joint does. So, so, right. tell, me, so tell me Lane Kiffin, Miami head coach's future. <laughs> I mean, he, he'd recruit. Um, it would be a lot of fun for a while. Until results mattered, it would be a whole hell of a lot of fun. Another one like Butch Davis where I'd be like, yeah, I'll write about that. Hell yes. Um, I, it really is hard to figure out how good a head coach Lane Kiffin is right now because he pressed every right button last year. Um, and then some of the same guys who were like, like in theory, he just, he, he lost his defensive coordinator brother, um, and brought in, uh, a very successful who Pecoraro was that I'm blanking mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. like that, that seemed like a great move and the defense fell apart completely and it seemed like he kind of got cocky offensively and was like, yeah, 12 year old Charlie Weiss jr. Yeah. He can be my offensive coordinator. We're going to, we're going to roll for true freshman quarterback. That's fine. Um, and it didn't work. So maybe this was just a settling in year where, you know, he had to replace a lot of guys or more than he expected and, and didn't necessarily make great choices. And now next year they'll rebound and be good again. Cause I mean, Lord knows he's recruited fine. Um, especially with transfers, if you count those at least, but yeah, like it, it, it is the, just as last year was probably better than it should have been. Like he didn't, it wasn't indicative of him being amazing. Uh, this year probably wasn't indicative of him being terrible either, but I don't know where he is in the middle at this point. I, I mean, again, like if if you can recruit, that's, you know, that's half the battle and he'd recruit like crazy. Uh, and and it, the, the storylines would be fun, but I just don't know how good a head coach he is anymore. Um, okay. I think we're going to have a little bit of time to talk about Miami in the future. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'll leave it at that. Uh, there are other openings, other situations. Obviously, um, I reported the whole Houston situation yeah. um, the last couple of days. That's going on. Um, probably rather than try and establish something even remotely evergreen for a podcast, I'm going to punt that one to Wednesday um, okay. just because I think maybe by Wednesday we'll have a, a more complete story to tell. Um, I would also say this, I'm not trying to be foreboding, but – you know, I woke up this morning when I was reading stuff um, about who, unfortunately, not all the coaches on my Atlanta Falcons, but some of them will be fired. Um, as I was reading that, there are several key uh, NFL media folks that I respect who are saying that um, among other teams that are going to be looking for head coaches in the NFL, the Packers are evaluating college coaches. Um and one name that kind of jumped out, everyone has talked about Brian Kelly in that capacity, which doesn't surprise me at all. Pat Fitzgerald surprised me. <laughs> I don't, I don't even know who to source because I saw it very quickly this morning and I'm sorry. Cause I hate it when people don't source me because what I do for a living, but there's, I, it may have been multiple reports, but maybe the Packers would be the team because Fitz has had those conversations with the NFL before kind of like David Shaw. Um, that would be interesting. Now I think hypothetically, that that would not set off quite as big a chain where, you know, someone, if someone hires Brian Kelly away, Notre Dame goes out and looks all across college football to find their next head coach. And then a, a, a succession chain starts of that right. guy leaves that guy felt right. I think Northwestern might be one of those schools that just promotes from within. Right. Well, who, who uh, is the who, question? Yeah. Right. Cause, Cause his defensive coordinator has been around a while. Uh, was, uh, um, God, what's his name all of a sudden? 
Jeez, I've talked to him. What's his? Hankwitz. I was, th- I was thinking Drinkwitz, but I knew that wasn't right. That's a different No, guy. Eli uh, Drinkwitz is the new head right, coach exactly. at Appalachian uh, Mike State. Hankwitz. I, I was getting confused. Uh, Mike Hankwitz is older than my dad. Um, he's 71 years old. So he's he's not it. And and he's the most successful assistant on the staff. Well, keep so, in mind, Fitz, I mean, uh, Fitz came in in a weird situation, but Fitz was pretty young when he got that job. Right. Very right. young when he got that job. Exactly. Right. But, I mean, like, in terms of most proven assistants, um, Hankwitz is at the top of the list, and you probably don't promote a 71-year-old from within, so who is it? I mean, I don't, well, I don't know Well, I mean, that's a gray beard staff because, it, you know, uh, our former colleague and Northwestern grad, um, Roger Sherman, we used to point out they were the what, longest – they had the longest streak of no assistant changes whatsoever right. in, a, in a P5. If they didn't, for some reason, go outside – Right. I think that um, someone like Derek Mason, you know, that would be a, I think that would be a fit in a lot of different ways. And I think that would be something where you go in, apply what you already know, what works and what you've learned at a place like Vanderbilt at a place that, and this is not, these are not, this is not my opinion. This is what coaches tell me when you talk about quote unquote, the old nerd schools and that stigma is kind of dead. Everyone thinks that Northwestern's an easier place to win than Vanderbilt. Yeah, well, I don't know if they're right or wrong, but that's just what they say. I'd say okay. they are. They're, that they're right. I don't want to start dumb debates today. Um, <laughs> that would be one. Um, there's a couple others that I think if if um, if Northwestern opened, uh, of course, obviously the Houston thing, and then I, I do think the NFL. I think if if five teams, if we see four or five, if we see five teams, I think there's an almost certain likelihood a college coach gets plucked this time. Right. I don't think Lincoln Ryan is going to the Browns, but um, I, I do think that there's stuff. And this is not me being coy. My knowledge base and what I do for a living and the people I make phone calls to and all that stuff, like it basically stops at that, like at the pro line. I could <laughs> sometimes I've been able in my career to report on college coaches that um, college coaches that go back and forth where there's an where there's an, a knowledge base there or a contact that I have or something like that. Um, it's it's extremely rare that I'm I I don't I don't source in the NFL. I'm assigned to college, so I'm right. I'm, I'm trying to draw a line here on our show of like <laughs> I'm not being coy. I'm being coy about some things. Like I'll tell you about Houston later, and I'm not being coy about NFL things. I'm very much a fan right now, hoping that we don't hire the Daryl Bevel guy because they threw a touchdown pass that cost them a Super Bowl or an interception that cost them a Super Bowl. Yeah, that was probably Car- that was probably Pete Carroll's call though. You think? Yeah. I, bet. I feel like we have people out there who are probably screaming at us who know the, that answer. If you're going to talk about NFL, do it right. Yeah. Bill, this is a, a wild, wonky kind of shake the dust off return to PAPN. And uh, oh, by the way, <laughs> I was, what I was going to say is hey, we're just going to get in, we're going to knock some ass PAPNs out and then get out of here. We're going to go back, come back for a full regular show on Wednesday and get back into our offseason schedule. Uh, I do want to say uh, outpouring of uh, acclaim. Uh, of of like satisfaction, I don't know what the word I should use is for the uh, the bonus app. I thought yeah. that I thought it went really well. Uh, the only funny comment that I got was that people were like, "How in the hell didn't you guys include?" Yeah, whatever game, like, y'all. It wasn't our. We didn't get to pick it. Yeah, it wasn't. That's and I'm sure if like we if it was later and our listener base was bigger and we had another 150 responses or whatever, number one, that would have been completely unwieldy to actually have a show like that. But number two, we would have gotten those scores. Vince Young Rose Bowl was the one I got the most. Yeah, definitely. That was the one where I was like, man, how'd y'all not do that? And I'm like, 
Uh, Michigan App State was another one, I think. Yeah, we got a lot of that. We got a lot of that. Um, so, yeah, that was our <laughs> listeners' favorite games. And a lot of our listeners, if you if you go back and listen to that show, and it's evergreen, you can hit it whenever you want yep. to, if you want to. Um, that was usually their first, like, seminal experience is often your first experience, right? You know, life-changing experience often. The, we, we kind of phrased it back in the day of, like, what really made you become a college football right. fan. So. Right. Uh, a lot of people are probably already college football fans when some of those games happen. So, yep. um, although I could say, like you know, maybe a lot of hardcore lifelong fans still have that game yet to be played in their lives. <laughs> if you're a fan, especially if you're like some Wobegon fan somewhere, I guess I don't know. Bill, we're, we're so rusty. We're How so did rusty. You like- I feel like my bad diet over the holidays is oh actually making me bad at podcasting right now. We'll we'll go with. That. I'm out of breath. Well, that and you went to like, according to Instagram, approximately 147 movies. I've been to with the kid anything anything kid appropriate, and even some PG 13s. Um, yeah, no, that's uh, you took him to Bumblebee. My, my yeah. wife was a was a little put off. Was she scared? She said, wait, she wait. She took he took he took his son to a. Does that mean we have to take Aaron to one of these? Like uh so I don't. Here's the deal. I checked beforehand. I have a, I have two friends who work in I guess film media or whatever, and I asked, and they were like, "Well, is he mature?" And I was like, "Yeah." And they're like, "Is he afraid of violence?" I was like, "No, he's a four year old boy. He creates violence." <laughs> um, and they're like, "And they're like, well, they don't even use real guns in the movie. It's like you know, transformer lasers, right?" And they don't have any blood. When they shoot a person, they like they sort of turn into like a misty kind of thing, and then. Exactly what happened is what this one guy works to me. He's like, your son will be bored. And he was. Because if it was a scene, there's no swearing in the film that I can remember. Um, Maybe minor, but, I mean, he's my son. So what do you think he's been exposed to in the home front? Uh, You know. You don't say earmuffs? I I try to and I remember. I don't know, my wife. Oh, my poor wife. Um, Yeah, no, the whole time he was just like, if there wasn't a Transformer transforming or fighting another Transformer who was also transforming, (laughs) like when the the whole plot of like the teenage girl who's lost her father is like learning to live again, he was just literally just laying there in the recliner thing at the the Megaplex being like, boring, (laughs) this sucks. He didn't say sucks. He doesn't know what that word means. But uh, he was very, at one point, like the plot of the film, the second act, where they're like doing dialogue parts, you know, and it's not just giant robots beating on each other. He's like, dad, can we go? So it was the opposite of like a horrified child learns about sex or murder for the first time. Also, I have no idea how that movie was PG 13 because I thought the spider verse movie was way more scary and mature, which I also took him to. Yeah. Aaron loved spider. How old is Aaron? Seven. Okay. She was like a four year old. So she came home and we bought her like a, how to make your own comics thing uh, a while back. And she like was, she immediately came home and started searching for it. She was like, she was, her mind was blown at the way they'd made it. It seemed like a comic book. So that was awesome. Yeah, I was just way, way, I thought that movie was way more mature and and even scary in certain places than the Transformers movie. Also, it's a movie about giant robots who come to earth and talk to John Cena. Like the stakes are never going to get that dramatic. (laughs) Like he's never he literally the whole time anytime adult humans had a dialogue, he was just like, Hey dad, this is can, can we go to the bathroom? I was like, Do you need to go to the bathroom? He's like, No, 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 I'm just bored. No. No. 
Um, yeah, so we went and saw PG thirty. My mom, my mom, my my wife was not happy. My mom I was trying was to think about either. like I I remember Stand by Me was technically R because of language, and I saw that probably when I was eight or nine, and I saw and fell in love with Coming to America when I was like eleven. Uh, I mean, I can tell you right away. I had um probably what was the flu when I was ten or eleven. And for some reason, oh, I know what the reason is because I've made fun of my parents mercilessly for this. Like any other American white conservative family, it was okay at 10 years old for my parents to rent me Die Hard because there's no nudity in it. <laughs> That's it. That was the, and you, I couldn't see, like, I think it was Under Siege because there's one scene of nudity in it. That was the difference. Under Siege is just a Die Hard knockoff. <laughs> die Hard infinitely more violent than Under Siege. Yeah. Ho, 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 now I have a machine gun, topped only by the fact that the next day they rented me Die Hard 2, in which, if you remember, John McClane stabs one of the... Are they German in that film? No, no, there's Marines. I remember Die Hard 2. I know I've seen it. Die Hard 2 is... So Die Hard 2 takes place in Washington, D.C. And by the way, if you're worried that we've we've gone off script here, we're not. We intended on doing this. Die Hard 2 is supposed to take place at Dulles Airport in suburban Washington, D.C., right next to where I grew up. It does not, and I was very angry, and I learned at a young age that Hollywood lies to you because they shot it in some other airport, I'm sure, in, like, Ontario, <laughs> California or something, and didn't look at a lick like Dallas. And in one scene, it's a bunch of angry Marines who become terrorists in, in Die Hard 2. Man, I'm, maybe I haven't seen Die Hard 2. Dude, Die yeah. Hard 2 slaps. Hmm. It's fantastic. You know, where he, where he does the ejector seat as he blows the plane up on the tarmac? <laughs> Well, he stabs a dude with an icicle in the eye at one point, and I was 10 years old. But, you know, there wasn't a nipple, so it was okay. So, yeah, I took my kid to see Bumblebee because a bunch of robots were knocking each other in their robot faces. It was fine. And, there he were no even, he, he, and he was bored the entire time and just wanted to eat Sour Patch Kids. Am I a terrible parent? Your, your call's after this. I don't know. I don't care. Ask PAPN. Yeah. Everybody's on this Lane Kiffin thing. I see all your Lane Kiffin jokes. All right. I see you, and I love all of you individually. We're not going to do them all. Uh, Michael Settle Jr., if Miami offered Mike Leach, he would take it, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I don't have anything else to add. Next. <laughs> uh, hmm. Nope, 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 nope. How many Lane Kiffin jokes are we going to do, guys? Huh? Well, they might not have known about the others when they themselves made it, so it might have uh, seemed... Speaking of other games we didn't even touch on, Trilosopher asks, is Michigan doomed, and can you try to be nice about saying we're doomed? I don't think they're doomed at all. I think they, I think there's staff changes that need to be made that might not get made. Right. Um, but no, like, jokes aside. Um, need to cheat better. They do. But, like, <laughs> they have a lot of talent. That's one thing that stood out. As I watched the second, most of the third, and the fourth quarter of that game. And... They have a lot of talent. I they stayed have... on brand by going out of my way to not watch a single play. Of that game? Yeah. I had I it refused. on for some Which reason. I, I watched know. a lot of Virginia, South Carolina, and I have regrets about that. But Didn't I also watch a to lick watch... of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was not – that was so bad you couldn't even do the, the, the irony thing on that one. But Arkansas State Nevada was, was good in that it was crazy weird. It was bad, but it was hilariously weird in that Arkansas State outgained Nevada by like 438 yards or whatever. Uh, and yeah, created... you know it's the end of the season when, it, when I don't do the PAPN thing where I saw that that was going down in the fourth quarter, and I was like, I just I, – I, <laughs> I can't right now. I'm just going to yeah. watch Clemson. 
This was, um, I think a friend on Twitter basically referred to it as like the sideshow Bob stepping on a rake moment to like Arkansas State. Let's, let's, uh, oh God, yeah. let's turn the ball over on downs at the five this time. Now let's throw a pick at the eight. Now so let's, awful. yeah, anyway. Um, uh, Michigan, you're not doomed at all. I, I just think he's got to be more progressive in some of his staffing. And I just think they've got to look at what it is about matchups and schemes in games where you're playing elite teams, truly elite teams. Yeah. Because y'all are as good as it gets when you're playing 85% of college football. The problem is that's not what you hired him for. Yeah, I think the teams that, uh, you know, just absolutely throttle the t- less talented teams and but but struggle with the teams of equal and more talent, it does, you, you're, you, you immediately start going to what's wrong with their scheme because – it seems to be reliant on your your what, what was it yorn beating theirs and or whatever um like and and it does seem like there's still a lot of that i mean bringing pep hamilton in um i guess it seemed like it could be a bridge of some sort to to you know still having that man ball aspect but actually being able to do other things it it, it didn't this I all I know is I mean there it, it just seemed like every single time Shea Patterson backed up to pass he's like well nobody's open uh what can I do oh their pass rush is already here uh and and if they're relying on the superior superiority of their offensive talent uh it it, it doesn't exist uh, against the Ohio States of the world and it yep. should I mean you got Tariq well the, for the two games a year he's healthy Tariq Black but you've got four stars everywhere you look that you should be superior athletically but you're not putting these guys in position to to win one-on-ones against good uh, opponents and or you're just not creating enough easy damn passes this is the the thing that's most interesting to me about oh man this uh, well this is an NFL podcast so I can go here um what like happened? Some of the teams in the NFL have figured out, like, it's okay. Like, we don't have to change everything about our offense, but if we do these things, if we use motion in this way a few times a game, uh, and, and if we kind of just have some some rub routes outside of the goal line, we just do things where we basically create about five easy passes a game for our quarterback, uh, it, 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 but then do everything else mostly the same. Like, the world doesn't end. And so, you know, when you've got a team like Michigan that does just grind to a halt anytime the other team is as athletic as they are, it's like, why aren't you doing these easier things to create just a few more easy plays a game? And, and it starts to drive me crazy after a while. Um, uh, uh, at A.N. Gregory, uh, obligatory Harbaugh hot seat question, fire his coordinators or is this just who he is? Like coordinators, I think he, plural? Well, I think, I think you answered the question is if you don't make significant staff changes, if you don't do what Bill's talking about, which is just simply you got the talent. You're going to have to manipulate that and lean on more of what makes you great in, I don't know. It's like, he's not create. It's, it's, it's like they don't treat unique situations uniquely. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like it, it just, I don't think they go into these games and they don't look all that different or they, they look bad in matchups. Right. And I mean, he's, he's a Bo Schembechler protege. Um, I, man, I had a joke just kind of sitting out there that I couldn't ever quite harness for Twitter yesterday where like, and I kind of, I think I mentioned this in, um, in our Slack room at some point, but like he, he emulates Bo in that he has a 1970s offensive philosophy and he always lays eggs in bowls. Um, but that doesn't really work unless you also beat Ohio state like he occasionally did. Um, see, that, that was a lot for a tweet. I could never quite find the right tone to get all those pieces <laughs> in there. But anyway, 
it really is like, I mean, his philosophy comes out of that. Like when we need to run the ball, um, even if they load the box, we need to be able to run the ball against a loaded box. Well, like technically you don't. Technically, you can, if they're loaded in the box, that means somewhere there's an easy catch for a receiver probably. Uh, It's okay to do that. So it really is like a mindset thing to a certain degree. But um, fire his coordinators, plural, if that includes Don Brown, no. no. Um, It's the offense that needs work. I realize the defense has gotten torched a couple of times, but the offense is still problem number one. Well, that'll Um, happen when you have zero support on the other side. Right, exactly. It, It probably, you know, wasn't a coincidence that the defense started getting torched primarily after the offense failed a few times. Um, so it really is. There are a lot of like Mark Richt was in this boat too. Like there, there are a lot of, of, of really successful coaches who don't seem to be making offense as easy as they could. Mark, I mean, Nick Saban did. You can too. <laughs> Emily Munn, please explain Auburn football to me. <laughs> Some people with some conflicted feelings about that Music City Bowl performance. Well, I, I have simplified all of my thoughts about Auburn football to they're going to do the opposite of what you think they're going to do. Um, so now that they have, now that they absolutely embarrassed Purdue in a bowl game and looked <laughs> looked looked, looked to like they you know they had an offensive line again and they could actually use their deep threat receivers as deep threat receivers and uh, and all that. So now they're going to have expectations again next year, and they're going to stink. If they had, if they had bombed in their bowl game, I would have predicted they would be amazing next year. But now they're going to stink again. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I got nothing. I got nothing. Um, it was weird. It was weird. Um, it may be. It may be something that a lot of people take out of context. And again, we warn you guys against that. It's a bowl performance. Unique situations across the board. Yeah, and um, one of those unique situations is sometimes when you fight to keep your coach and fi- and you succeed, you get complacent for a minute. Um, well, I also I also think that Auburn has really good football players, mm-hmm. and they had better football players <laughs> yep. than Purdue, and they did come out with a hot hand right away. Yeah, no, this was, it was kind of a lesson in game state. Like you know, if Purdue makes an extra tackle on Booby in the first quarter um, and doesn't throw a horrible pick, um, then, you know, maybe, like, it doesn't snowball the way it did, but um, it snowballed, and Auburn, obviously... There also, was Auburn I just was want to point win. out, that Auburn defense was nasty, too. Yes. Awesome performance. Yes, basically... I really, 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 really need to apologize for that defensive coordinator. <laughs> Purdue really just couldn't take advantage of the thing that basically every SEC opponent could, and that was uh, Auburn's offensive line. And when you, if you can't do that, suddenly Jarrett Stidham's like, whoa, I have time again! And he started to look like 2017 uh, Jarrett Stidham again. Um, it, like, it's amazing what uh, like not having a porous offensive line will do for you. I just think it's um, – I think maybe that's – the that defense was an example of why Auburn fans are so frustrated by the hiccups and weird spurts and valleys with the offense is that they're just better than we thought they would – they could be a couple years ago. They recruit their ass off on defense. They have yep. top-tier defensive talent, as good as Alabama, as good as LSU, as good as anybody, um, as good as Georgia. And uh, it's been the offense that's let them down. And, man, that's really, really going to piss off a lot of people when Gus Malzahn's your head coach. <laughs> So, uh, I, to answer your question, Emily, we don't know. We have. I'm just going to leave it. I don't know. 
We'll figure it out. We got nine. I months. think the answer is don't try to figure it out because it's it's <sighs> never it's ne- it's never going to be figured out. Multiple people asking on Twitter if Miami will hire Neil Brown. I don't think he's on their radar at the but, moment. It could change. But depending on you know if Kentucky were to open, if West Virginia Woo-hoo! were to open, um, then. <laughs> This this wouldn't be as outdated. Like I I did enjoy being able to two days ago write a piece saying you know, this so begins the biggest off season of Mark Rick's career, uh, and then being able to just say and so ends the biggest off season of Mark Rick's career. A couple of weeks ago I wrote a you know how the hell is Neil Brown still at Troy story. Um, it might be it might be able to close that loop too. Off season's a very very long time. People don't realize but the silly season is every day in your hearts. Um, Jerry Lambden, he's going to ask a question I can't answer today. It's another lingering coy. topic for the offseason. Not coy, just confused. Uh, Jerry asks, should I expect the offense at Tennessee to look different next year, regardless of who the OC hire is? Probably not. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Some of the comments that have come out from your head coach, Jerry. <laughs> Man, there's DC's turned head coaches, and then there are DC's turned head coaches. And Jeremy Pruitt is a DC turned head coach. So you're saying he's more Will Muschamp than Bob Stoops? Jesus, Mary Joseph, what are you doing, pal? You're trying to you're trying to you're trying to attract a human being that essentially has the opposite football philosophy of you. That's why they coach the other side of the football game to work for you. Do I need to break this down into phonetics or maybe a flashcard? Man, charmer that Jeremy Pruitt. It's what what everybody's always said about him. In his defense, he hasn't ever tried to prove otherwise. (laughs) Uh, Our pal Billy Gamilla. What's Mm. Bobby Petrino's next move? Surely he's radioactive as a pro assistant. Would a G5 school hire him as an HC? Would a P5 give him a coordinator gig if he even want one? Mm, You want a recipe for disaster? Put Bobby Petrino in as your OC. He will snake that job. That's true, yeah. He still has uh, analyst right now. If he's smart, he goes to the league as a QB's coach and co-OC or something like that. Yeah. yeah because he, because he, he can game plan really well. That everybody's striving No, for. straight up. I mean, straight up, I'm telling you right now, he has, he can scheme like a MFR. Um, still. Yeah. He can script first 15 better than most coaches, any, <laughs> any coach. But. He's also Bobby Petrino. He's also Bobby Petrino. Um, You're never going to get that stink out of the walls if you let it in. I'm just saying. Yeah, um, I, would a G5 school hire? I don't even know if it would be G5 at this point. He might need to do like, you know, FCS uh, Texas school of some See, I just I think know. he needs to go. I just think he, knows, he needs to be a guy working for a pro team that you forget is there. <laughs> and, and he just sits around with smart football people doing smart football things, and there's zero public exposure. And he, he can't scheme to get the pro coach's head, the, the pro head coach's job. Speaking of what happened in Charlotte, Chase Harding asks, as a South Carolina fan, what level of panic should I be at? Uh, this would definitely, this was definitely going to go on my aborted segment. Um, what happened, Bill? Well, they didn't have Debo. Their defense, it didn't really get, actually it did kind of sort of get healthier than it had been at different points this year. Um, but Debo sat out and, I mean, I don't want to just boil it down to that but Bentley didn't really have anybody to pass to who could hold on to the ball um and he was be it because of Virginia's pressure or because he was like 
crap, I don't know where to throw the ball. He was, he was throwing passes really late, which he's had. I mean, Jake Bentley, his entire career has been, has, <laughs> he's had a dark side. <laughs> like when, when the wheels come off, like, like I'm looking at his stats here recently. I mean, against Kentucky, he was 13 for 28 for 148 and three picks. Against Virginia, he was 17 for 39 uh, with two picks, basically the exact same passer rating. Um, last year against Clemson, you know, 89 passer rating. Like when it, when it, when it doesn't work, it really, really doesn't work for him. Um, but again, it's a bowl game and your best player was sitting out and your defense was playing all like freshmen and walk-ons cause it's been extremely banged up. So I don't want to, I, I realize this is an opportunity. I predicted them to underachieve this year. So here's my, uh, you know, opportunity to see, see, told you. But it it really wasn't that. I just think that they didn't have their best team on the field. Virginia had a hell of a lot of fight, a hell of a lot to play for, especially after the way, you know, losing those overtime games to Virginia Tech and Georgia Tech the way they did. They were that close to like a 10-win season this year. And they just had more to play for. And South Carolina just kind of lost the plot offensively and the defense eventually cracked too. Yeah, let's do the PAPN thing and talk about how good Virginia is. And essentially they've set themselves up very well. I mean, yeah, like what was their uh, – I will be updating S&P Plus on Wednesday, by the way, programming note. Don't what, worry about the VTech thing. Seriously, I, I'm not joking. Like just – No, it was – You guys that are was doing a, so many good things right now. Yeah, they were 42nd in S&P Plus heading into this game, so they'll almost certainly finish in the top 40. Um, last time they did that was – spreadsheet, spreadsheet. Come on, spreadsheet. Uh, let's see. They were 35th in 2009. Al Groh's last year. They had a crazy bad luck and a tough schedule, and they ended up 3-9, and nine, but 35th in S&P Plus in 09. That's the last time they were in the top 40. Um, no, 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 38th in 2014. <laughs> when they also finished with the losing record. <laughs> Woo. Okay, so, um, yeah, things have been weird for a long time in Charlottesville, uh, but they're going to end up in the top 40, and they're going to end up with eight wins. That's pretty awesome. That's a really nice third year right there. Andrew Priegler, not a real ass PAPN, but can you just talk about Dino Babers a bit? Ooh, we got to talk about. <laughs> um, I don't think I've been this genuinely happy with a team after the long-term ex- extension plus the 10-win season. Yeah. Um, it's okay just to talk about good things with like you know, no real topic there other than yeah good team <laughs> good win in the bowl uh, definitely more organized and focused than West Virginia was but I don't want to say that in a way that takes away from the fact that Syracuse is a good football team right now in the ACC yeah, flat I mean, out yeah West Virginia they were without their quarterback and their number t- and their second best receiver and it showed. But Syracuse was also without one of its best pass rushers, and they just they seemed to have more to play for. The way I, I described it when I was writing about it was just basically this was West Virginia was playing for 2019, trying to figure out what they had, and Syracuse still had something to play for in 2018, and the team that had something to play for this year won. And good for them. Ten freaking wins at Syracuse. Uh, Tom Hardy says, with Paul Johnson retiring, is the triple option dead at P5? I mean, at the moment. <sighs> it doesn't look good, Tom. <laughs> Doesn't look good. Let's say West Virginia opens. They're not going to do it. No. Let's say Kentucky to, no, opens. It, they're not going to do it. It has let's, to be a job that where you haven't had success for a while, and you're like, well, let's try something new then. Like Oregon State would have. Houston. Fit that Houston's bill. open. They're not going to do it. Let's say Temple opens because of Manny. They're not going to do it. Um, yeah, it's probably not going to happen this year. 
Yeah, it's definitely not happening this year. Like down the line, I think it could absolutely happen again, but it's dead at the moment for sure. I think Arizona, Oregon State, um, you know, Iowa State is in a good place. Kansas just made a baffling hire for so many reasons. Yeah, but um, they might be making another hire in two or three years. So Exactly. That's You need a situation like that. Yeah. People, people fight it, man. People fight it so hard. I also think the problem, if I may be so bold, is that Paul Johnson is Paul Johnson. <laughs> right, right. Who I love to death, but he is a curmudgeon. Yeah. And people associate, this is so stupid, but athletic directors who are so, uh, so, so fixated on external communications, <laughs> they, they associate the triple with Paul Johnson being a cantankerous old man. And there are so many iterations and versions of the option. But I mean, look, I don't think we've talked about it since, since we did our recording batch in early December. Tulane is going to look a lot different now. Ugh. You know, there's a, there's a distinct, the move that Willie Fritz made by getting rid of, um, I just blanked on his name too, and I've interviewed him before, which makes me feel really bad, but I'll, I'll Google it here in just a second. Willie Fritz changed his OC after a successful season at Tulane. He did it for specifically reasons of optics. It's very, you don't normally see this. Like this is the kind of stuff that rarely happens. If something's working, it's working. You don't, you don't screw with it, but he's doing it because, you know, he hasn't said this, but it's pretty obvious. He's doing it to to change the perception of he and his staff for a potential P5 job. Douglas. I don't know, man. It's very strange. Um, he hired Will Hall from Memphis. Uh, and Doug uh, Roos. Doug Roos was the yeah. triple option OC that he had had. Um, I don't know. I shouldn't say actually they didn't run the triple in spirit. They, I mean, it was a shotgun. It was a shotgun option essentially that they had run since Sam Houston state. They ran it at Georgia Southern. They ran and it, it worked late. amazingly well. Yes. yes. My gosh. Look at Georgia Southern. It That's really... my question. To you. Hey, explain to everybody right now. <laughs> First off, it's been so long since we've done a podcast. How about that fourth down <laughs> play in the Georgia Southern bowl game? Uh, yeah. It was a camellia bowl. That was freaking awesome. Uh, but also explain to everyone how just real quick, if you can, how terrible Georgia Southern was last year and how good they are now. Yeah, that's like a power of identity thing, isn't it? Like they could tell Tyson Summers didn't really want to run the option and he was just kind of doing it because he thought he was supposed to. Um, and then you bring Lunsford back, then you promote Lunsford and he's like, hell yeah, we're running the option. And it worked again. Just poof. Um, Lord. No, that was, that was a beautiful thing. And it, it really does seem like <laughs> – it's like a it's 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 a packaging thing. Like I can't package this offense without the word, like the, without like somebody saying it's a triple option or whatever. And therefore, I can't recruit or get a bigger job. So I got to make something different. That sucks because they had a great offense at Georgia Southern and Sam Houston and pretty much everywhere else he's been where he's tried to run a modern kind of spread triple option offense. Um, this year, their offense kind of stunk. But uh, so, I mean, I get I, I get changing because of that, but I hate the thought that they're changing because he doesn't think he can sell the option to a P5 athletic director. That's like that. That's basically cutting off your right hand or that. I mean, that's that, that's that's making your your own job so much harder because now you're going away from things, you know, work. And that, that's mm-hmm. tough. But I mean, if you want one of those jobs, I guess you got to do what you got to do. Last question. I got to get out of here. We'll be back on Wednesday, and uh, we're going to give ourselves a cliffhanger. The problem is, anytime we ever do this, we forget. So yes, we got to be more professional. I, I, but, I guarantee I will not remember this. Well, we might because it's an upcoming game. Pierce Larkin asked a really good question. 
I've been wondering this all year. How much different is Ed Orgeron LSU from Les Miles LSU? They seem extremely similar. Great mm-hmm. defense and mediocre offense that should be much better. Do you want to answer this now? Do you want to wait and see what happens with UCF? Because I will say this. Crap crap matchups abounded in bowl season. Mm-hmm. Like the Florida-Michigan situation and whatnot. Yep. But also, I'm kind of starting to get interested in this game. I will say this. A less miles offense would shove you at UCF to the ground for 60 minutes. And you know this, what I think is going to happen is that because it's the path of least resistance, it makes the most sense. There's a chance they win this game really, really. I think they win the game and they beat the streak, but I think uh, they do it in a really ugly, ugly way. Yeah, I just I, – they, their offense has been extremely disappointing to me and not, not the – um, quarterback angle so much as they can't run efficiently anymore. Or they, they couldn't for large portions of this season, and that's frustrating. Uh, you should always be able to do that at LSU. And so they made, they made Joe Burrow's life pretty hard by having him have to throw a lot of third and nine passes. And that was, you know, it worked. I mean, they're, they're freaking nine and three. So, of course, it worked to some degree. Um, and they did improve to 53rd in offensive S&P Plus. They're not – I don't remember what they bottomed out at, but it wasn't that. So, I mean, that's, that's fine. Like, they, like, it was still a recipe for winning some games because of your defense. But I think if they – if or when or whatever that they beat UCF, it's because Dave Aranda had a month to prepare for a freshman quarterback. Um, that's going to be nasty. Like, also like would Mack looks so good. At time, like once he got his feet under him against Memphis, he looked so good, and he's going to be so good. But he's still a freshman quarterback, and Dave Aranda has had a month to prepare LSU defenders for him. Yeah, they're going to murder. I just don't think I think that's going to happen. I, just, I think on the other side of the ball, they're going to be slow and bad because they can be, and they're not going to risk anything. They scored uh, zero points against Alabama this year, yes. 10 points against Alabama last year, and I believe it was zero points the year before. Yes. Is that right? Yes, I believe so. Score more points against Alabama, and people <laughs> won't ask this question. That's the best way to, um, that's the best way to look at it. Um, we'll know real fast. I personally think that they're going to win the game by creating turnovers and then just being dumb and lunky, and that's what it's going to take because you can't, uh, you can't score lightning fast, minute 35 seconds, score, you know, touchdown drives capped off with you know 45 55 yard chunk plays if you don't have the dang ball and i guarantee you that's what edo's thinking right now so i expect something nasty and push you down and sit on you kind of football and yeah a lot of people are going to compare that to miles for better or worse so we'll see yeah miles team miles most miles teams would have done it really well and this lsu team has not their defense is still an lsu defense though Mm mm-hmm All right, uh, we'll see you Wednesday. We're back on the normal schedule. Thank you for your patience.